Hello and welcome to Raw Chatter, the stuff that matters. I am your host, Vicky Midwood, and I am bringing you this podcast bi-weekly. We will be talking to guests and I will be talking on my own alternately all about subjects that we want to bring to the forefront of conversations. This is non-censored stuff on subjects that perhaps we don't talk about enough and I truly believe that nothing should be taboo and the more we can talk about things, the more we can bring things into the open, the more we can be totally honest about how we feel and what we think without worrying about judgment from other people, the better. So thank you for joining me and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi and welcome to Raw Chatter, the stuff that matters. I am your host, Vicky Midwood, and I am an integrative health, nutrition, fitness and lifestyle coach. And I have an amazing special guest with me today. For those of you who are new to the podcast, welcome. I hope you enjoy this. We're going to be talking about death cafes, amongst other things. Now, if you're just a little bit intrigued, stay with us. So I've got with me the lovely Jane Iskander, who is a coach. She is a hypnotherapist. She is a master NLP practitioner, and she's an occupational therapist. And she utilizes all of those skills to help her patients to feel fantastic in themselves. But We're going to talk about that, but first we are going to cover a little bit about what are death cafes. If you don't know what they are, you ought to. We all should. And Jane is going to (laughs) is going to inform us and get us really excited about getting involved. So over to you, Jane. Welcome to Raw Chatter. Tell us about the stuff that matters. Thank you very much, Vicky. It's lovely to be here. Really appreciate being invited. Um, So, yeah, the stuff that matters to me is bizarrely or less bizarrely death. Um, Death and dying, I think, are basically topics that, that we in this country tend to hide under the carpet or sweep under the carpet and not talk about. Um, And there's all sorts of reasons why. But the thing that I feel is really important is these death cafes. Um, which is it's just an opportunity to talk about something that we in this country find really difficult to talk about. Um, right. And you just said there that, you know, it does tend to be we, we have this British attitude and it's not the same, is it, in all countries? And we need to talk about this stuff more because death happens to us all doesn't it? Absolutely. And it's going to happen to us all. There's nothing we can do to stop it. We can slow it down. We can maybe duck and dive a little bit and last a bit longer, but it is going to come to us all. Right. And so we need to be talking about it more. So for those people who are who are intrigued, so how do, how does it work? How do people find one? What do you do? Where, tell us about how it actually works. So Death Cafe is a movement um, that was started by someone called John Underwood in this country, but it came from America originally. Um, Death Cafe is not a place. Death Cafe is an event. So I actually hold Death Cafes, monthly Death Cafes in Chelmsford at the moment. Um, But if you're interested in attending a Death Cafe, there is the deathcafe.com website where you can find Death Cafes anywhere in the country, but also anywhere in the world. So there are face-to-face death cafes and online virtual death cafes as well, which people can attend. And 
what is a death cafe? It's yeah. anything. It's anything and everything, and it depends who turns up on what it becomes. Because um, I think the 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 basis of death cafe it's um, a place where people can come together and talk about death. Uh, I kind of I I will describe it as talking about life, death, and everything in between because right. that's kind of where death is in our lives. Um, and we eat cake or biscuits. There's always nice refreshments. That's a very important part of it. But also a very important part of it is that I'm there as a facilitator. I'm not there as any kind of um, advice giver or guide or my job isn't to come to any conclusions or anything like that. It's just to hold space where people can talk about death. And all we do is, you know, just invite people to start off by saying why they've come. Right. And that gets the conversation going. So give us give us a, an example of some of the things that, that people might kind of, because in my head, I'm thinking I can see how this would be so beneficial for, for example, people, especially at the moment, if they've had to deal with a death of a loved one while we were in the whole lockdown scenario, and maybe they weren't even able be able to be with them, you know, at the last moment. So I can imagine that that right now that that's a topic. So, but what other things crop up for people? That's such a difficult question, Vicky, because it literally is anything and everything. Um, Within the death cafes that I have facilitated, we've talked about everything from the um, practicalities of what happens to my body after I've died, right, you know, right. um, what happens at a funeral directors, what happens in the crematorium, all those sorts of things. Um, we've talked about bereavement. We've talked about um, sadness and loss. We've talked about family interactions because that's often an issue and we've yeah. had a few people who've turned up um as you know different members of the family have come to the same death cafe because it has enabled them to speak about something that they can't talk about at home right right and that's the the, the kind of the main crux about it i think isn't it that you're in a space where you can talk about things that in your home environment Maybe you just don't have someone to talk about it to or it's just not it doesn't feel right to be mm. able to say what you would like to say to the people who are around you. And I can't mm. I can't believe that I wasn't aware of them until I came across you. And funnily enough, in the same week, somebody else mentioned them mm. as well. And I was just like, OK, so this is definitely something mm. that we all need to be made much much more aware of and the fact that there is even a website which again we'll put the link in so people can go and check it out but when people um are there i think there's an idea that it's all going to kind of be sort of doom and gloom and people wailing and crying mm. there may be i would guess an element of that but yeah. what you just said is that there's like some practical stuff going on as well yes i mean it's it's absolutely the kind of the whole the whole spectrum of everything about life, death and dying, um, because sometimes we're talking about um, sometimes we're talking about being alive and being ill. Sometimes that's an aspect of it and looking after someone who's ill. And sometimes we, we are talking about the, the process of planning for death and dying. Um, but also often we're laughing. Right. Very often, there's a lot of laughter. Yes, there are tears, and that's you know that's 
only to be expected because it's also it's a place where people are able to express those things that they may not have felt able to before or, or they have felt able to and it's just again a safe space I think another thing and that's it something we've talked about quite a lot in different death cafes it's often different people who bring the same sort of topics um, but there's there's a sense that um, after bereavement after someone you love has died there's, there's this kind of period that you're allowed to be sad in and then you're expected to move on and right. that's been talked about a fair amount that kind of checking in with the person who's died checking in with them the memories is absolutely okay and normal right and I think this is why as you said we don't talk about death in this country so mm. it makes sense that we don't really know what's normal what's not and and it, and is there a normal because I guess it's different for for other people you know what is my normal what is your yeah. normal and and what I'm wondering is is how did you come across them and what what made you so passionate about them that's a very good question. Um, I worked, well, I think I've always been a little bit fascinated with death. I've, I, I, I check in if there's a, if there's roadkill beside the road, I have to check in and I'll, I'll like, you know, I'll say hello to it or apologize to it, you know, sorry, Mr. Fox or whatever. Um, right. but yes, uh, I've also worked for 10 years at a hospice. So I worked in, in palliative care for quite a while. And that was where I first started thinking about death cafes. I think I'd come across them before that, but that's where I thought I, I need to start doing this. And I talked about it with colleagues and the response was really interesting because it wasn't, oh, yeah, what a great idea. We need to do that here at the hospice. The response was, oh, that's a bit morbid from several people. Yeah, which kind of, yeah, absolutely. If we find it difficult, working at a hospice and we find it difficult to talk about death and dying then that just kind of makes yeah, me even sure that we need to do this i was going to say that that's kind of a red flag that says we need to not make death morbid because it is as you said it, we're all born we're all gonna die it's yeah. a given right Absolutely. some of us will will die in an instant and we could be literally here one minute and gone the next and we don't mm -hmm. have time to plan anything and others might really suffer and, and not have a great time so none of us know what it's going to look like except it will happen so why, why do you think that we have got this kind of inability to to look at death just as a part of the life process yeah whenever we talk at the death cafes about this topic and it comes up quite often it's it seems to be about fear it seems to be there's um there's a feeling and it and it goes with wills as well the thought of writing a will very often people will put that off because if i write my will that means i'm going to die that means i'm ready to die and it's all about the the kind of the significance or the meaning behind these things right and that's a really good point then so and i'm guessing that we pick this up from our families from our grandparents from the people that we surround ourselves with and so really we've been conditioned almost as a nation mm. haven't we to to not talk about this stuff so it kind of is almost in the in the realms of of religion and politics isn't it it's like religion politics and death don't talk yes. about those <laughs> things and you just kind of think well why Right, because it's it's not about having an opinion about it, is it? It's whereas religion, you can have an opinion yeah. and you can believe that your religion is right or wrong or whatever. The same with politics. 
But that's not the case with death, is it? It's not about death being right or wrong. It's mm. And it's not about there being a way of handling it. It's about talking about your experience, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Ex experience and expectations, I think, are the two the two kind of big things that come into Death Cafe because all of our experiences go to create our expectations. That's kind of just how we are as humans, whatever has happened before. And when you're when people are coming, do they do they just rock up? Do they need to book? Do you do you kind of have a is, is it normally a small group or is it quite a large group or does it just very much depend on on the day? Again, it depends on the day um, and the group. Um, so the, the groups that I run, we tend to just we'll advertise locally and you know, online and whoever comes, comes. I don't ask people to book or anything like that. Right. Um, so that's quite nice. So there's no pressure for yeah. you to sort of buy a ticket and then you have to show mm -hmm. up or anything like that. And I think one of the things that you've said is that you facilitate it. So there's never going to be any kind of judgment or people no. not feeling heard. And I think yeah, that's absolutely. key. And I think that that's really important that that opportunity to be heard is absolutely a large part of what it's about. And and there's not any um, pressure to, to speak it's also you know you, you can come and just be there if that's what you want to do that's right. absolutely fine as well and it's just an opportunity so everyone is allowed an opportunity and that's again that's my job is to make sure that everyone felt, feels heard if they want to be heard and everyone feels respected and everyone holds that space respectfully and but so far everybody has that, and that's so important. And I think for people listening, that if, if you don't kind of know the power of, of groups, but just to kind of help people to see the, the, the importance of it, we all like to know that we're not alone with yeah. feeling the, the way that we're feeling. And, and somebody just needs to be able to identify with somebody else. And even if you don't say anything, but you just hear something and you're inside, you're just going, oh, my God absolutely I felt like that yeah. and you don't have to share it unless you feel you want to but it's just that knowing that we're all human beings together and although our experience might not be exactly the same we're kind of going to be on a spectrum of of similar aren't we? absolutely yeah and that's that's what that's kind of what what links us together isn't it that's what connects us as humans is is the, the similarities and the differences and, and being able to relate to other people like that. And that's what I think one of the most beautiful things about Death Cafe is that is the supportive. It's that peer support. And as you say, that is the real value of any kind of group is, yeah. is the, the support of everyone in the group. It's not about me as a facilitator. It's never about me as a facilitator. It's about the um, the group being enabled and empowered to to share and to, to be together and I'm guessing and I don't know if you'll know but but I'm guessing that, that there are some friendships made with people who perhaps would not have met each other beforehand um, and if you have lost a loved one then that can be a really good connecting bond mm -hmm. for a friendship on a, on a completely different level to your other friends can't it yeah yeah it's as you say it's a it's a connection that is completely separate to to the rest of life it might you know you might move someone into the rest of your life but yeah it, it can be a, a completely separate connection which is Brilliant. again a lovely thing 
So that takes me on to then death and why we die and causes of death and illness and all of that good stuff. And and really, you help people um, to feel good and shy away from death, or at least kind of make it a little bit further away than we would hope. That you are about quality of life for people whilst we're here, as Absolutely. well as running these death cafes. And and just help people to understand, because I know a lot of people don't necessarily know or fully comprehend what an occupational therapist is or does. Do you want to just let people know what that actually entails? Oh, I'd love to. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Very few people actually outside of occupational therapy or, or the services would be very aware of what we do. And I think your your description, it's about quality of life. It is about absolutely um enabling people to really make the best of the life that they've got and the abilities that they've got. So occupational therapy is an enormous role. And kind of what I do is around adapting people's homes and helping people to adapt their life after they've had um, a life-changing event or a diagnosis. So it's about change. There's a lot of um, helping people to work through change, whether that's physically or psychologically and emotionally yeah and and i think people hear the word therapy and occupational and they, they don't quite understand sounds like it. work doesn't it sounds right. like, yeah. it doesn't but for anybody who who obviously has been through the process of of having a, a life-changing whether it's an accident whether it's a diagnosis as you say but learning to adapt physically is one thing, but learning to adapt mentally and then having having a home and also people around you who are able to help you with that adaptation. That's what you help people to do. And it's right. it's a process, Jane, isn't it? It's, it's not something that just happens over time. So you, I'm guessing you get to build up quite a, a good relationship with your with your clients and and utilizing some of the other techniques that you are qualified in because those in my head all gel together to help you be excellent at, at what you do so if people don't understand what nlp is it's neurolinguistic programming but help them to to see how that fits into how you help people to adapt and change it's quite funny. For a long time, I thought I needed to retrain and I thought I needed to, to be a coach. But then I realized that I am a coach in being an occupational therapist um, and adding the tools of neurolinguistic programming and hypnotherapy has enabled me to kind of expand my work so that using these tools. What, so neurolinguistic programming is about helping people to basically think differently, basically learn how to adjust their mindset, adjust the way they think. And it, I worked with someone yesterday who um, who has, I asked her what she wanted to do. She said what she wanted to do was get rid of her th fear of death. So, okay. And we went through a process that enabled her to change her belief that death is frightening. Yeah. And now, now she no longer has a belief that death is frightening and she's able to change that into a more positive, helpful belief. And that's, you know, that's just amazing to be able to do that for somebody 
Yeah, and for people listening, this is not kind of all woo-woo stuff, and it's, no. it's this is all based on science. Absolutely, it's all based on how your brain works and your neurotransmitters and your programming. And once people understand that they can reprogram mm. their brain, and it's not hard when you've no. got somebody who can show you exactly what to do and talk you through the process, it means then that you can adapt much more easily can't you to, to a, a massive change like that so so these tools are so important and one of the things that I know um Jane and I were talking in in the green room beforehand that you are also really passionate about and so am I and and I and I'm hoping that our listeners are gonna you know really pick up on this is that we don't just want to be a quick fix you don't want to be a quick fix you what you you want to get away from this idea of treating a, a label or a diagnosis because the people that you help are not their illness they are not their diagnosis they're not their injury are they so so tell us more about how you feel on that and and what you're doing to change things you're so spot on Vicky that's that's one of my absolute something I'm really passionate about is that no person is a diagnosis and that's something that we're we're particularly it's a bit of a habit that um when we when we are given a diagnosis we we kind of tend to wear it we can tend to carry it around with us and we will wear it like a i don't know like a hat or a jacket this is mine this is my diagnosis so this means that i can't do this i can't do that i'm likely to be sick i'm i'll be tired so i mean within nlp so i'm if I'm telling myself that I'm going to be tired, then I'm going to be tired because that just makes perfect sense. Um, so where was I going with that? A little bit of a diagnosis on the label that we wear. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one of my big things is, is just, you are not your diagnosis is you cannot be. You are a person you who are is person. living with. Yeah. Living with. Yeah. Or living alongside even. Or is living coming. alongside. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Because you're absolutely right. And and a lot of what, when you say, you know, people wear it, and I agree, I hear people talking about, it's my depression. Absolutely. It's my anxiety. Yeah. And every time they say that or think it, you don't even have to say it out loud, yeah. you're reinforcing that you are attached to it and it becomes your identity. And it's not. No, it's, not, it's just, it's just I'd, I've got a, th a thing at the moment that, you know, when I was when I was little, my granny gave me a jumper and I wore it because granny had given it to me. Right. It's a little bit like when the doctor gives you a diagnosis, you wear it because yeah. the doctor gave it to you. So, yeah, we don't have to wear it. You can carry it or put it down or, you know, there are other ways of, of, of dealing with being given this thing. Um, and yet, I suppose one of the main reasons that this is so important to me is because when I was I was 22 when I was given a life-changing and potentially life-limiting diagnosis um, and I was very ill with it I was a very unwell person for several years and I was told by one doctor that I should be on bed rest and that I wouldn't work again wow and it's really significant in my learning now that I chose to believe something different. Right. So and that, that word that you just said then, you chose. 
Because I think that a lot of people don't think that they have that choice to believe that that what somebody says in a white coat, who is an authority figure, must know better than me and must be telling me the truth. And therefore, I have to believe it. Mm -hmm. And you don't. Yeah, absolutely. You don't. It's, it, it is. I mean, life is so much about choices, whether you've had a diagnosis or not. Yeah. You have so many more choices than we think we have. And would you say that a lot of the time as well, it, it's about misinformation when it comes to a diagnosis and labels? Because we can all go Google stuff these days, can't we? And Google yeah. will give us a list of symptoms. And suddenly we can go, oh, yes, and that, and that, and that. And before you know it, you are suddenly living up to Absolutely, the expectations yeah. or the interpretations of what you think that that label actually has. And this is the stuff that you must have seen this, and I and I would imagine that it comes up in conversation in your death cafes, is that that kind of thought process can lead you spiraling down. And we know that on a cellular level, on, a, on an energetic yeah. level, that if we believe the negative and then it's all going to be doom and gloom, and if you had believed your doctor, mm-hmm. then the chances are you would be very, very ill if at this point, if not, you know, be heading for an early death. And th- yes. that stuff come up in the death cafes. Yeah, yeah. As I say, everything comes up in a death cafe. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a no-holds-barred conversation. Right. And I'm guessing mm. that you must come across people, or do you, who who are kind of so attached that they don't necessarily want to change. Yeah. Do you ever come across that? Yes, yes. And I, I was talking about that. I actually mentioned that to my husband yesterday, that sometimes we we as humans we do want a label we want a reason to for this pain this this whatever it is we're experiencing and sometimes when we're given that it's a relief and it's such a relief that we we do wear it and we wear it with pride and that's I think less than helpful but again you know it's we we all have choices and if I choose to wear it and carry it around with me that's my choice Well, and here's the thing, and I think it is about choice, but I think it's important to know that people, especially in the early stages when they when they do choose to wear it, they may not realise a that they have a choice, and they may not realise that they're doing it because there's a payoff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the payoff oftentimes is what keeps people attached. And I know when I talk about there being a payoff. And where people say, no, I don't, I don't, I don't do it because I like it. I don't say it because I like it. It's like, well, actually, mm. on an unconscious level, you are getting something from it. It may yeah. be that you're getting attention, whether it's good or bad, you are getting attention. Yeah. It may be that it allows you to get out of doing things that you don't mm-hmm. really enjoy doing. Yeah. You know, so oftentimes there is a payoff for staying yeah. in that yeah. diagnosis. And some people will feel really hacked off if I point that out but others go oh my goodness I didn't realize that that is what I was doing and then they go oh my god right so I do have a choice I don't have to and and it can work either way can't it do you find that that sometimes you have people who are not sure if they if they're able to change their beliefs and when they do something like your hypnotherapy does that help them to just open up the channels a little bit more to being more open to it Yes, and I think I think you're, you're right. It's sometimes just having some very small examples of ways that you can change 
yeah. can be um, just stepping stones because when you know nobody expects anybody to to change their entire life in in an afternoon or an hour it's, it, but the first step as you say is just beginning to believe that there is opportunity for change and there is opportunity there is choices I'm back to choices again brilliant do you and I don't know this but when you're working with a with with somebody and you're helping them with their occupational therapy you do you go into their home and into their workplace is it very much a hands-on um, yeah, it varies. Uh, my in my private work, I I work with people either online or face to face. Um, and in in my in my employment, it tends to be face to face, because we're adapting people's homes. So the reason I'm asking that is is do you get the opportunity to to hear and kind of see what kind of language and what attitudes they're being exposed to? Because that can make a huge mm-hmm. difference to their ability to change as well, can't it? absolutely yes who we who we are surrounded by absolutely and it's such a huge aspect of of our ability to to see opportunities and to to change but also yes I don't know it's just if you if you live with someone who constantly tells you you're bad then you're bad and sometimes they don't always use that 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 actual language but we receive messages don't we yeah absolutely and I would guess that if you've got somebody who is working with you and they're in a really supportive environment with people who are who are talking positively about what's possible my guess is that that their journey is so much easier to facilitate than somebody who is always kind of feeling that they're up against it Mm -hmm. yes I mean it's just like it's like anything isn't it if we're if we're supported by the people around us then our journey is so much easier Right. And this comes as full circle to talking about death again, doesn't it? Because if we can be supportive of one another and talk about this stuff. So we talk about illness and and we talk about death as just as naturally as we would perhaps talk about going to a spa or on holiday. It's it if we can make it more a part of just natural conversation. And I love the fact that you're having it over coffee and cake. Yeah, and people are chilled out and relaxed. So it is just like a coffee morning. It's just a conversation. Yeah, we've just chosen our conversation is going to be about death. Yeah, I love it absolutely. So Jane, if people would like to contact you in terms of your private work, um, let us know where you you hang out. Do you have a website that they can visit? I have a website, and I'm janeiskander.com. Um, and I also um, I'm, have a presence on LinkedIn. Great stuff. So they can seek you out on either of those two places. And I will put the links for people to check out in the information for the podcast too. Mm. And in terms of where you are in your um, Chelmsford Death Cafe, is that information on the website? That information is on the website. I run a monthly death cafe at the Ideas Hub in the Meadows in Chelmsford. Fantastic. Last Friday of the month. So there you go, folks. Last Friday of the month. So you can catch the next one, hopefully. And you don't need to book. You just show up. You just grab yourself a coffee and a slice of cake and say hello to Jane uh, and just see where the conversation takes you. Jane, I want to say thank you so much for being my guest and for helping me to enlighten our listeners about what an occupational therapist is and about the importance of death cafes. 
and to invite you all to go to one and see yeah. for yourself what it's all about because the best way to spread the word is to experience something and then tell others about it and on that note jane i want to say thank you once more i have been vicky midwood this was raw chatter and we were talking about stuff that really does matter i'll see you on the next <laughs>